In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. It is so fantastic. I have not practiced one sermon from this spot. Someone asked me how many times they had done that. I said I did not do it once. It might be obvious after today, but I have not practiced one time uh, from this spot. It's just exciting to be here. And it's exciting. My family is here, so my parents came all the way. They sat in the front row in the holy seats, so I appreciate that. <laughs> my mom is here, which means 50% of our online listeners are right here in the presence. So our, 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 we're going to have a drop in our online listening, so glad that you guys could make it very safely. They've been helping out, get things in order. We are going through uh, Home for Christmas, so we, I thought this would be appropriate. We, we named this series a number of months ago, and we thought this would be fantastic if we only could get in the building. And there's kind of this push for people to say, like, hey, are you going to be in for Christmas Eve? And last year, I was like, of course we're going to be in for Christmas Eve. And then are you going to be in for Easter? I'm like, of course we're going to be in for Easter. And then it, like, ticked past. And then it kept going, are you going to be in for the summer? I'm like, of course we're going to be in for the summer. And it got all the way to here. And then this Christmas Eve, home for Christmas, we had had a name at almost home for Christmas, which isn't quite the same, it's not quite the same feel of what we're looking for. So we're going to talk about a few things. What makes home so special? So it, we talk about this all the time. So in Colorado, a lot of us are not actually from Colorado. So if you just do a, a hands, most of us are not from here. And you come here and you find like a new home here. And I think that's one of the reasons why when we have Christmas Eve services, if you've ever observed it. So when I was in Washington, the families that we would have were established in Washington. So Christmas Eve was by far our biggest service, by far. It was full, every, every single, right to the gills. And I assumed it would be the same thing here. And it was probably a little smaller than normal. And then I'm, you know, you know, trusting in the God as they wheel into a depression, trying to figure out, like, what am I doing wrong here? And I think a lot of it is just our family demographics, so if you're not from here and you're able to go and move around, there's something kind of special, I think, about going home. I think there's something special, especially at a holiday and you, you're a younger family and you say, we go here and we kind of have the memories and you have the traditions and all these things that are familiar. In a world in your life, if you're like normal people, that's a little bit chaotic. And so we're going to talk from that perspective, a guy named Jeremiah, we don't talk about Jeremiah too often. So Jeremiah is one of the prophets, and he had, like, the worst job ever. So what is happening for Jeremiah is the, uh, there's threats happening all the time. So the Assyrians took him up over. The Babylonians are, like, on the door, ready to take the whole nation over. And Jeremiah's job, can you imagine this? He's the pastor of the people that weren't good enough to be taken by the Babylonians. It's like, you know, the rummage sale? You get done at the rummage sale? Anyone have rummage sales? What do you call them here? Garage sales? Yard sales? I don't know. Now I'm... I'm what, what are they called in Colorado? So at least they get it right in the future, and it's not so obvious. I'm from Wisconsin. Garage sales. Okay, got it. Garage sales. No longer yard sales. That would never make sense to me. So it's not yard sales or rummage sales. Does anyone call them rummage sales? From the Midwest. Okay, so we take a drink from our bubbler, and then we'll go and go, we'll go to do some rummage sailing. So, so we've got garage sales. You ever get done? You're really excited. You're like, I'm going to make so much money. And after about 30 seconds, you're like, if you will take it off my property, I will pay you, right? So then, and then there's always that stuff left over in a pile, and what do you do with that pile? Yeah, you put free and nobody wants it, and then finally you take it to Goodwill, and Goodwill doesn't even want it. They're like, why would I want this stuff? So then it goes to the dumpster or something like that. That's kind of the people. So they took the very best, the very brightest people into Babylon, and then if you weren't that good at stuff, they left you behind. Jeremiah's job is the pastor of the people left behind. But we got issues. The things were not going well. If I would describe the times then, it's going to sound remarkably similar to our times now. So imagine a time where a nation is trying to take out a nation. 
Uh, imagine a time, if you can do it, where they're sending spies to try and undermine what's happening in your country. So imagine a time where the poor and the mentally ill are marginalized. Is this hard to imagine? Imagine a time where Christianity, you're believing, kind of starts to go down and down and down. It's not that hard to figure out. Because the time of Jeremiah is about just like us. So where does this kind of all circle around? Historically, when we talk about the season of Advent, historically that is a time of not national preparation. Historically the time of Advent is a time of personal preparation. When we're saying like, where do I stand with a holy God? And so when we look at the, the message of Jeremiah, it's very, very similar, I think, to the message that many of us want to hear. As he proclaims this news to the people in Judah, where they have all these threats around and they're, they're going to other gods and all these things, he has a simple message. He just says, repent, because God's judgment is coming. Now, I know we like Advent. We think about the Christmas decorations. We set stuff up and we're really excited. And Advent really is a time of repentance. And I probably share this story a lot. So originally, when I, I got out of the ministry, we would preach. And I would not look ahead like I was just treading water, just trying to make it. And now we do months ahead, hoping that things work out. But I was just getting out, and they had the end of the world. Does anyone remember end times in the Pericope series? All right, so I'll explain it if you don't know this. So way at the end, so they have a church here. Way at the end, they would have, like, last judgment, and then super last judgment. That's what I thought it was. And then, like, Christ the King. So I preach everything I know about the end of the world. And then I'm thinking, that's all I got. The next week, I look, and it's last judgment. I'm like, what? Didn't we just cover the end of the world? So I preached, like, you know, I'm just squeezing, like, the end of the toothpaste out of my abilities. And I get all the way down to the end. And then the next Sunday is Christ the King Sunday, which is, you know what? God coming at the end of the world. All right, so I'm like, oh, man, this is not good. This is not good. So, you know, like, I'm just, this is way at the end. You know, I'm, I'm rubbing it on the counter now, trying to get any ability that I got out of my, to talk about the end of the world. And I thought, finally, Advent is here. Because Advent, growing up, meant the Advent calendar. It meant Christmas. Do you know what the themes are in Advent? Repent. Because God is coming. For four more weeks. So after that, I said, I'm never going to talk about end judgment again. Instead, I'm going to focus now on preparing our hearts, and that's what I want to do today as we look in the, the book of Jeremiah. The section that we have, and I want to tell you a little bit of a story that gets it there. It's kind of where we sit. Does anyone, uh, we've got some people from Austin, Texas. I know, has anyone been to Austin, Texas? It's about the cheapest flight you can get on Southwest. So if you have Southwest points, it's like $70 you can go. You can't afford to do anything in Austin, but you can go there, and then you can come back. So you could say you've been to Austin. But in Austin is, this is a black and white photo. This is called the Treaty Tree, I think it is, or the Treaty Oak. That's what it's called. This is this historic tree. This is what it used to look like for four or 500 years. There's all these legends associated with the Treaty Tree. And they say that the Native Americans and uh, the uh, Native Americans and the people of Texas made treaties there. They say that Sam Houston, does anyone have fond memories of Sam Houston? They kicked him out of the governorship, governorship because the, the participation in the Civil War, he rested apparently under this tree. So people go and they look at this tree. Well, somebody who is totally delusioned, there's someone who is totally delusioned named Paul Cullen in 1989 took enough poison to kill 100 trees, and he pours it at the root of this tree. And, and arborists around the country are kind of, they're sending get well cards. The kids are, and this is big news back in 89. And they said, this tree is done for. There's no chance it's going to live. So this is what it looks like. Not quite the same thing. The other tree is literally in the tree hall of fame. This is what it looked like. A th only one-third of the tree was left alive. 
and they, they thought there's no way. They, they put uh, misting on it. They, put, uh, they took sugar and they put it in the roots. They took the soil out, whatever they could do to make this tree alive because it kind of became the symbol, like, at Texas, we survive. And if this tree can survive, that would be a picture. Humanly speaking, which category would you put yourself in? Tree number A? Did I just say number A? Tree, bullet point A or bullet point B? Which one do you think you of yourself when you think from a spiritual perspective where you stand? It's a little bit hard, right? Because does anyone like to admit spiritually that you struggle? I think as a nation, actually, we've gotten out of the practice of even talking about, like, sin, and we're talking about the troubles that we have. I'll give you an example. I get a chance to do um, online videos, and that's through a company, that, uh, a ministry, and they say, they, I get memos once in a while, and I got a memo that said, when you refer to sin, people don't like to hear that, so please start saying, like, mistake. And I said, I think that's stupid. Because what happens if they looked at this tree with all this poison at the roots that's going to kill this tree and people go, wow, it's a pretty big mistake. When they saw this tree that was dying, they had a name for it. They said, this tree is dying and this tree needs help and we have to get in and fix some things. As a nation, we struggle to even talk about this stuff. No one talks about their problems. No one talks about the things that are hurting them to the point that that they, they, there was this idea that said if we don't talk about sin or we don't talk about evil, it's just not going to happen. And how has that worked for us? December, as you know, that, that for the first time, and maybe you saw the article just a, uh, about a week ago, as you know, we have been growing as a nation. Our life expectancy has kind of slowly been ticking up with the new drug advances and all these things. For the first time ever since World War I, as a nation, our, our life expectancy is going down. It has nothing to do with sickness. Addiction and suicide. Why? Because we don't know how to talk about that we got real problems. We don't even, if you don't have a word for it, how do you fix it? And I think it's a healthy thing to say, here's where I stand, that we're a broken people. Spiritually from God, we're broken. We're kind of, we need help. And we say, God, the only place we can find it is in you, and which is Advent. God, I am so sorry for the things that I've done. I'm so sorry for my neglect of you. As I get ready this Christmas, it's not about all this other stuff, but instead, can you help prepare my heart? And so, the book of Jeremiah, we're going to jump in. This is 33. He says this. I've got to see if oh, I can read it from the back. Barely. I can barely. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. People are seeing how bad my eyesight is. That's great. I appreciate that. You look back there, and then I'll just do this. <laughs> in those days, at that time, I will make righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. And he tells us, what's really awesome, God tells us what he names that. And he says the name of that branch that's going to come, he gives it a name, and names are a big deal. He says, it is the Lord our righteousness. It is God with all his power who's going to come to this earth, and he's going to give us his righteousness. There's this beautiful picture. So let's talk about names for a little bit. Um, many of you know Justin and Lorraine Elf. I got a text this morning that said we had a bet. Not with them. We didn't tell them about that. We had a bet that they would go into labor and have a child. They're pregnant, just so you know that. Uh, so they're, they're, they're going to have a child by 8 p.m. last night. That was my money. I got to pick the time. I said 8 p.m. tomorrow because they're going to want to be at the first service. That's how I looked at it. It did not happen, but they are now in labor. And I said, oh, how's it going? Boy or girl? And they're like, we don't know. 
what kind of names do you have? And this is always dangerous, right? Whenever you ask someone names before you know because everyone's got a weird uncle <laughs> named Jared, right? <laughs> like, this is dangerous. This is dangerous. So th- th- this is dangerous. They said, we don't even have any names yet. So I thought, what kind of pressure is there when you named your kids? Like, you're thinking about it. You're trying to get it right. Here's a quote I read, and you tell me if this adds to the pressure or takes away from it. Your name is an artifact of your parents' lives and their culture, their personal histories, and their dreams for their child. This gift of naming is something you carry your whole life and marks your grave when you pass. If you are lucky enough to have a child, naming them will be the most important task for the same reasons. Nameless, faithless, countless generations behind us and those yet to come in the distant future resonate in the names we are given and those we give. Your name has importance to you and your family and your community and all humanity identifying you in space and time. So I texted that to Lorraine and Justin. <laughs> Don't feel any pressure. Like, you're just trying to get a name that doesn't rhyme with something naughty, right? Like, this, this adds it to a whole nother level. And in fact, some countries, this is a bigger deal. In France, did anyone read the article where they police how they do their names? They don't do this in the U.S. You can name your kid whatever you want to their detriment. But in France, does anyone recognize these soccer players? Uh-oh. I'm doing it slowly so it doesn't slip all the way through. There we go. So if I get this right, I'm going to probably mispronounce them. So they won the World Cup for the first time since, I think, 1998. And this is... He's a Griezmann. I'm looking at a soccer fan in Mbappe. Is that how you'd say that? Are we good with that? I got a room full of football fans that are like, I don't know, bro. It doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> we hate the French. I like the French fries. That's it. So that, but could you imagine being named? They have this child. They're so excited about the victory. This is the name of their child, if I can get it to go. Griezmann Mbappe. The France government steps in. And they can to say, you are naming your child that could be detrimental to their health long term. Like, imagine someone being born and they're named like Joe Montana and their last name, right? Like, that is not the thing you want to walk around with. So they said, but in the Bible times of all places, names are a big deal. And Jesus is the one that God says, I am going to send, and he is the Lord, our righteousness. And here's the coolest part. When we look at what it says, in those days, Judah, talking about God's people, will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. We, we've got some brokenness, right, that we don't want to talk about. We've got sin. We've got mistakes. And we, don't want, we want to push all that aside when it comes to Christmas and just think everything is great. The highest month for suicide and depression is December. You might just be struggling now because Christmas is not exactly what you expected. But God comes to you and says, I want to give you a name. Not only is this the name of my son, but I want to give you a name that says you are righteousness. Through my sacrifice, through my love, through what I've given, all that guilt and all that shame is taken away. He says, you are righteousness. You are perfection. You have a new name. Your name is an artifact of your parents' lives. Your name is something you carry with you your whole life. It is written on your gravestone. Your name has importance to you and your family, your community, and all humanity, identifying you in space and time. The name that God chose for you to identify you in space and time is his righteousness. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you've given us all a name. You put your name on us. 
And we pray that as we get ready for this season, as we get ready to go home, there's mixed memories, right? There's trouble. There's things that are going on in our lives, things that are embarrassing, things that are a struggle. But instead, you give us a name for the things that are important. And you say that we are your righteousness. There's all kinds of names for things. People in all kinds of countries name what's important to them. We name our cars and we name our things. We name our house. We name all these things. But instead, let's focus on the things that are most important, the name that you give us, the name that you have put on us, that we are your righteousness. Help us with that kind of seated hope in our heart. Move forward as we celebrate this Advent with you. We ask this in your name.